0: Hey friend, just a quick note for you before you get into this episode. Since I released this season last year, I have since changed around some of the domains on my site, and now the links that I mention in the original episodes no longer work. So, before if I mentioned a link like filmmakerfreedom.com/1, that link is now filmfreedomshow.com/1, and it's the same throughout this entire season. So, sorry for the inconvenience with that, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Hey friend, welcome back to the Filmmaker Freedom Podcast. Now, in the last three episodes, we've covered the three major ways that filmmakers can earn a living in the modern world. So you've got working in the film industry, doing client work, which could mean freelancing as an individual or starting a production company of some sort. And then you've got original content and using an audience to actually make a consistent living without having to rely on film festivals and traditional distributors. Now, if you've been paying attention along the way, you've likely noticed that I've stressed the fact that none of these options are 100% financially stable. Sure, they can feel stable and maybe even lucrative at times, but the chances of them being consistently stable over the course of an entire career are pretty slim. And that's why it's important to start thinking about how to protect yourself from financial uncertainty because at some point, your income will take a hit for some reason or another. And the only question is, will you be ready? That's why today's episode is all about diversifying your income and a few of the best ways that filmmakers can get started doing this right away. However, before we can dive into the meat of today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Music Vine, the cool company sponsoring this first season of the Filmmaker Freedom podcast. So, you have a lot of choices these days when it comes to finding music for your films and video projects, but Music Vine truly stands above the pack. Not only is it refreshingly straightforward to license music you'd actually want to use, But it's also genuinely affordable, even for indie filmmakers on shoestring budgets. And the best part is, the music is all thoughtful, expressive, and genuine. It's sourced from indie artists all over the globe who put the same care and attention and soul into their music as you do into your films. And that's why all of the music in this podcast comes straight from the Music Find Library. So, if you like what you hear in today's show, you can learn more about Music Vine and get an exclusive 10% discount on your first song when you visit filmmakerfreedom.com. All right, so let's dive back into the episode.
1: Things have changed. We all know it, and we all need to face that things have changed. So, those of us that make our living, Doing video production or film production, the the thing to do here is to kind of figure out
0: how you're going to adapt to that change. This is Pat McGowan. Pat's a lifelong filmmaker and video production professional based out of Ottawa. He's done everything from small scale freelancing gigs to running his own digital agency. Needless to say, Pat's done pretty well for himself in the realm of video. But Pat would also be the first to tell you that it's no longer the stable and sometimes lucrative source of work that it once was. In almost every possible way, the world of video production has been completely disrupted by a wide range of forces in the past 5 or 10 years. And just like he mentioned, filmmakers really don't have much choice other than to adapt to the way things are going. So for this reason, Pat has sort of become what you might call an income diversification ninja, which is sort of a strange phrase, but stick with me. Over the past few years, Pat has built up a pretty sizable library of video assets that he completely owns and controls, and he's worked to find ways to take all of those assets out to the market in a way that continuously bring him new income month after month after month. And the cool part of this is that Pat has actually built a platform that can help all filmmakers do this way more quickly and easily than he ever could. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later but first I think it'd be wise to talk a little bit more about what Pat means when he says that the industry has been disrupted, and why it's really not safe to rely just on one source of income as a filmmaker in 2017 and beyond. So here's Pat to tell you a little bit about what happened to him, and what's happening in other parts of the industry.
1: Well, here in Canada, for example, I think we've been heavily disrupted in the television production space um, because in, Indigenous content, Canadian content, is not being produced at the same rate that it once was. Why? Well, because networks, everyone's cutting the cord. So people are cutting the cord and they're not paying the cable fees anymore. So network doesn't get their, uh, you know, their due when it comes to being able to produce uh, enough revenue to be able to produce new content. So it's really changed up here. Um, the only thing saving the Toronto market right now is the, the dollar is at a buck thirty-two, I think, and the tax credits are flowing. So a lot of American production service work is coming to Canada, and the people who work in the industry in Toronto and Vancouver are very grateful for that. However, what would happen if the federal government decided, well, these tax tax credits are a bad idea? And that could happen. I mean, that level of disruption would be absolutely massive. You'd have thousands upon thousands of people put out of work. So now, do film, film people have, you know, people who work in the industry, do we have to become vagabonds and follow the tax credit tra- trail?
0: Um, that's kind of what's going on. Now, beyond this systematic level of uncertainty, where it's, where it's sort of hard to tell where the industry is headed in the future, people who are already established and making their livings this way. Are finding that work is coming both less often and it's paying less despite the fact the demand for video is going up and it's one of those trends that Pat doesn't think is gonna go away anytime soon when I asked him what he's been hearing from some of his production company comrades here's what he told me they're being offered less on a day rate to do their job that Um,
1: In television, uh, you know, particularly in uh, scripted reality, um, you know, there's lots of horror stories about people getting uh, offered a low rate, working very long hours, sometimes in unsafe working conditions. I'm not saying that's the norm in the business, but it's certainly there. In uh, in film, uh, I think people are working more for less than they probably have, maybe ever. In the business right now, and uh, and it's not a problem because there's someone lined up behind you to do your job. So, so that has been a, a pretty profound shift and a dynamic shift, and and I think it's a permanent shift. I don't think it's we're going to go back.
0: Now, I know this probably seems like a lot of doom and gloom, but it's really important to hammer home this idea that most of our major income sources as filmmakers just aren't as reliable as we'd like to think they are, or as we'd like to hope they are. So again, if you work in the film industry, there's a good chance that you might wake up one day and find that production and post jobs start to dry up because the tax incentives in your state or in your country have changed. If you're a freelancer, you're probably already familiar with the cycle of feast and famine that comes with client work, but you're still bound to go through dry spells where there's just no work, especially when the economy tightens and companies start to invest less into their marketing. And if you're trying to make original content for a living, you almost certainly already have other sources of income, and you should probably keep it that way, even when original content starts becoming profitable for you. The point I'm making here is kinda grim, but when you only have one source of income, you invite financial catastrophe into your life. And I know that sounds super dramatic, but take it from a guy who's had his primary source of income cut down to nothing a few different times over the last couple of years, and who as of this recording right now just had it cut down to nothing again just a few months ago. Pardon my language here, but it really fucking sucks, and it's not something that I wish for anybody. So that leaves the big question, what are modern filmmakers supposed to do in order to diversify their income? Now, my big answer to this and what we're going to get into in the rest of the episode is stock footage and creating video content where you own the intellectual property and where it can pay you in small amounts in perpetuity over a long period of time. But we'll get back to that in a second and that's sort of where pat's wheelhouse is but before we get to that i want to share just a few other ideas for filmmakers who are looking to use their chosen skill set to make a little bit more cash money so one of the best ways outside of stock footage to create a little bit of extra income is by renting out your equipment to other filmmakers in your area And this is particularly useful for freelance filmmakers who own their own gear and usually pretty good gear, and who sometimes need to create extra income when they can't find clients or when they want to take time off. So in years past, renting out your equipment would have been kind of sketchy, it would have been a hassle, but there are a few services that really remove the headaches and most of the risk from renting to strangers. And personally, I'd recommend ShareGrid as the best place to start, but right now they only operate in a handful of cities and if they don't operate in yours, you might try a service like KitSplit. And as for what gear to invest in, a good rule of thumb is that things like camera bodies typically have a limited lifespan because of how quickly technology progresses, but lenses, support equipment, lights, microphones, things like that become technologically obsolete way slower. So if you're going to invest in gear with the intention of running it out, Think long-term and invest in equipment that won't be obsolete in maybe 18 months. So one other cool way to make some extra income is to make useful stuff for other filmmakers. There are plenty of stock assets that you can create if you have the time and expertise to do so. For instance, you can make LUTs or lookup tables for digital coloration of media files. You can make light leaks and film grain packs. You can make After Effects templates or any kind of template. Hell, if you can code, you can build an app that solves a common problem that filmmakers face. Or if you have a valuable skill that you want to teach, you can create a course or an ebook or even a membership community or something like that. Basically, there's so many possibilities for ways that you could create additional income with the skills that you already have. So just be creative here, learn what the market wants, and then try to make something useful that fills that void. I won't go into any more detail about starting a side hustle here because that would take like an entire course or a podcast season of its own, but it's something that I can't urge you enough to start looking into and experimenting with. And if you're curious about where to get started with this stuff, I've included a few really helpful links and resources in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at filmmakerfreedom.com slash seven. Okay, now that I've been building up to it for a little while, let's finally talk a little bit about stock footage and why it's such a great way for filmmakers to generate long-tail revenue, and that's revenue that pays you for years on end, not just all of it up front. And this is something that Pat knows about firsthand. Not only has he been deeply involved in the whole stock footage market for quite a few years now to the point where he's got more than 6,000 clips uploaded to the various marketplaces and generates maybe three to four grand a month on a consistent basis just from those clips. And he's also the founder of a cool new platform called Blackbox that helps filmmakers get into the stock footage business with about as little hassle as, as possible. And it's even got some other cool stuff that I'll tell you about, but we'll leave that for the end of the podcast. For now, I'm just going to leave it to Pat to tell you a little bit about why shooting stock footage is such a valuable practice. And it's not just for the potential income that you can generate. There are also some other benefits. Here's Pat.
1: If you're a, if you're a really great
0: filmmaker
1: and you make really great stock footage, it's going to hold its value and it's going to be viable for many, many years to come. Now that's not to say that all of these platforms are full of brilliant images. They're not. There's a lot of kind of workaday stuff that is just, again, snapped up, and it's used to tell the story. So um, I think stock footage is a really viable way to, to be as a filmmaker and to diversify your income, but it's also, it serves other purposes. It helps you hone your craft when you're not on assignment. So you're not responding to a brief, you're actually freer. You're able to be more creative. You're able to go and do things that you probably wouldn't do because you wouldn't get the assignment. So many of us are really uh, trained and tuned into the idea of what the client wants or what the director wants, and that's our job, to deliver that. And, you know, that's, that's a great thing. That's what great craftsmen do. But when that craftsman actually goes home and tries to do something for himself or herself, that's when some really magical stuff can happen. Or you can be honing your skills. You know, if you want to be better at doing handheld rack focus, well, great. Get yourself some, some bugs and try to do macro handheld rack focus. You'll find out pretty fast that you're, you suck at it and you need to do some work. So, you know, I think it's kind of a great thing to do. It gives you a lot of freedom. Um, no, you're not storytelling, but you are able to provide elements that people can tell stories with. So it's really kind of fun. And, um, and I think we're going to see a real move towards highly crafted stock footage on these platforms um, because people are going to need it, want it, and they're
0: going to be willing to pay for it. One of the big misconceptions that people have when they're new to the world of shooting stock is that it's enough to just go out and shoot 100 or 200 new clips and upload them to various platforms and then just leave it at that. And unfortunately due to the nature of the stock system, that's really not going to pay off much in the long run for you. It might generate 20 bucks here, 30 there, and it might continue for years, but that's really not enough to do anything with or to take any financial burden off your shoulders. So in order to really turn stock footage into a viable source of income and a substantial source of income for years to come, you really need to systematize your shooting. You need to make it a habit. And that's sort of a tough thing to actually follow through on. But once you do, the results can be pretty astounding. What you did two years ago, or five
1: years ago, or 10 years ago, if it's still making money, well, it's gonna keep making money and then the money from year nine ago and eight ago and seven ago is all stacking. So this is where you can develop that revenue stream. So it kind of brings up another subject matter. How do you approach this? Is it just a pure hobby where I'm gonna put up a hundred clips and I'll make, you know, ten bucks? Or do I wanna have ten thousand clips and be making five or six grand a month? Because you can do that. So if you have a lot of clips on these various platforms, you can make a ton of money. There are lots of big success stories. And, uh, and the only thing stopping you is actually your time and energy and your commitment to building
0: your portfolio. So the next question you might be asking yourself is, what kind of footage should I shoot? What constitutes good stock footage? What sells in the marketplaces? And the answer to that is there really is no specific answer. But still, Pat has a few good tips to get you started. There's a lot
1: of opportunity to do um, the kinds of things that you want to do. But sometimes you have to kind of look at what's selling in the market. Uh, And you can find that out. So you can actually go to some of the stock footage sites and they're going to give you some market intelligence and show you what's shooting and so on and so forth. I think the rule of thumb is really make it look great, whatever you're doing. It could be just your cat, you know, with some dust flying by and, and beautiful shafts of light coming through your front door. Or your front window. That kind of stuff will sell because it tells a bit of a story. Um, But the rule of thumb for me uh, as a creator is shoot what you love if you can. If you can't shoot what you love, then shoot something else but put a lot of love into it. And um, I think the only rule of thumb that I know of is everything sells.
0: Now, beyond Pat's advice for what to shoot, He's also got some solid advice for how to shoot it.
1: Shoot multiple POVs. Shoot mul- multiple uh, depth of field, right? Because you never know what someone's going to want with that shot. Maybe they want short depth of field. Nothing more frustrating than finding the perfect shot and going, ah, crap! The whole, the whole uh, spot I'm doing is all shallow depth of field, and all I've got is this, you know, deep depth of field footage. But it's perfect, and then you got to mess around with it in post and and. Uh, You know, it just sucks. Well, if the videographer or the the creator of that footage had actually taken the time to say, okay, I'm going to shoot this three ways. I'm going to shoot medium, deep, and short. Perfect. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a move or I'm going to do a rack focus or I'm going to do something. So that's where the craft comes in to say, okay, it doesn't matter what subject you're shooting. Shoot it a bunch of different POVs and a bunch of different shooting styles. And, um, you know, and, and you'll be amazed because um, people will respond to that.
0: And now for the last piece of this giant puzzle, and that's how do you handle the business of stock footage? How do you actually get your content out to all of these platforms in a way that won't make you want to just pull all your hair out and curl up in the fetal position and cry? Because frankly, each platform has its own standards and tagging processes and approval processes and and different rates, and it's it's all just kind of crazy. And that, my friend, is where Pat's new platform, Blackbox, comes into play. Essentially, the platform handles all of the annoying business stuff, so you can focus on what you love, and that is creating great footage. And I talked to Pat a little bit about the specific problems that he's trying to solve with Blackbox, and here's what he told me.
1: So you can upload a clip once to black Box, and we will deliver it to all of the platforms and we deal with absolutely everything so when the money comes back into Blackbox, we give you um, your money less our 15 percent commission so that's pain point one we think it's a fair fee uh, for the work um, and then the other pain point though is what if you were collaborating with somebody How would you actually do that? Well, one person has to handle the money traditionally. And what happens if the relationship goes sour or that person becomes dishonest or, you know, something bad happens? So, you know, really, uh, that's a pain point. And what if you had multiple collaborators? I mean, if you're doing a bigger production, not just stock footage, if you're doing, you know, a web series and you had 15 people involved – how do you handle the deferrals and how do you handle the payments and how do you handle the revenue sharing? So we automated that piece. So now, uh, for example, Rob, let's just say you're a shooter and you hate to edit, and I'm an editor and I hate to shoot. We can we can come together on Blackbox, and we can co-own the content that we make. So when the money comes, you get your share and I get my share. It's that simple we don't have to worry about whether or not we even work together again. We work together on that initial project. We created the content, we co-own it, and now we move on back to our, our free agent gig reality uh, or we decide we want to work with other people and there's no barriers to that. So Blackbox really solves those two problems of how do I get to global market uh, how do I you know get to these platforms, and how do I get my stuff there and then the other thing is is how do I actually divide the revenue when it comes back in now if you're working alone, you don't have to worry about that it's all yours, but I do a lot of collaborations so i've got i've got probably in my library fifty or sixty collaborators that get a piece every time that content sells so it's a really really elegant solution and we're 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 really proud of what we've done actually. We feel that what we have done is created a tool or a platform and a community where people can actually have it be a lot easier to just do what they love to do, do their piece, and then have it taken care of
0: by an automated system. Now, the cool part of this is that this is really just the tip of the iceberg, even though Blackbox is primarily a stock footage platform right now, or a, or a platform that's designed to take your stock footage to the market with as little hassle as possible, in the near future, you'll also be able to use it to take short-form content to the market. So things like YouTube videos or web series, and even further down the line, you should be able to use it to take feature films and full series to market. For now, though, let's just focus on getting filmmakers some diversified income and using stock footage as a way to get there. So if you're at all interested in this game, I can't recommend highly enough that you head over to filmmakerfreedom.com slash seven and click on the link over to black box and sign yourself up. It's one of those things that's going to be kind of hard to get into the habit of actually producing stock on a consistent basis. But once you get into it and start doing it regularly, those little bits of income are going to stack on top of each other until it creates something very substantial that'll help you live a great life. So that's it for today's episode of the Filmmaker Freedom podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it, found it useful, and more than anything else, I hope you can use this as inspiration to jump into the stock footage game, or just to find new ways to diversify your income, whatever it is. Because at the end of the day, financial stability is a big part of what it means to live a good life, and that's what it's all about. So over the past few weeks, I have had an absolute blast digging through Music Vine's library for tracks for this podcast. As a complete music nerd myself, I've been really surprised and delighted by some of the stuff I found on there, especially some of the more experimental out there and expressive stuff. And obviously I can't use it all for this podcast because it it doesn't really fit with the theme and the style that I'm going for but I'm confident that you can find something that really expresses what you're trying to accomplish with your next film. So head over to filmmakerfreedom.com and click on the link over to Musicvine and you'll get 10% off any song you choose. Hope you enjoy it. Peace.